How many of you have met my son Simon? If you've not met him, you need to. He's something else. And by the way, it's Lisa's son Simon too. Where's their shit? Yeah. When uh, Simon was a, uh, a preteen teen, he was uh, really into the skate culture. You know what the skate culture is? Skate culture, for those of you who aren't as cool as I am, uh, was is somebody, they were a group of kids. This was in Davenport anyway. I don't know if that's the way it is anymore, but in Davenport, skate culture were these kids, typically teenage boys, but not always, could have been girls, who uh, loved skateboarding. They, most of them wore long uh, baggy shorts and baggy shirt and shaggy hair, and they would skateboard everywhere they went. They would skateboard to school. They would skateboard to the mall, to the movies. Anywhere that they could, they would skateboard because they loved skateboarding, and which is awesome all by itself, but eventually it became kind of a, a, a nuisance in Davenport. Did that, did that happen in... Cedar Rapids, or in this area? Anybody ever remember that? Yeah, it did? Yeah. Um, it came, became such a nuisance over in the Quad Cities that eventually the, the Quad Cities in general uh, kind of created these uh, skateboard-free zones. So, in other words, you couldn't, if you, if, you, you, if you decided to skateboard in this area when you knew you weren't supposed to, they could cite, give you a citation, or I suppose they could arrest you. I don't know if they ever did that or not, but... Um, and the kids that were a part of the skate culture resented that to no end. They thought that they were kind of being singled out and it wasn't fair. And, and um, they would oftentimes go to the skateboard free zones to skate ju- just to kind of tweak the authorities, right? And I don't know if Simon ever did that. Did, did he ever do that, you think? I, I want to believe that he didn't because he's my son, but I don't know. Anyway, I remember more times than not sitting down with him and saying, dude, you need to stop hanging out with those kids because you're going to end up in trouble. And he would look at me every time, because I had this conversation with him multiple times. He'd look at me every time. He said, dad, I'm a good kid. Trust me. And besides, dad, you're always telling me that I need to share my faith with with people. and, And these kids need Jesus just about as bad as anybody I've ever met. And I thought, well, how do you argue with that? At the same time, I was filled with fear and trembling, because what I wasn't sure was, was he going to be the influencer or the influencee? You know what I mean? So my fears, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know the fear and trepidation that we felt. Was my kid going to be an influencer or an influencee? Um. And it's legitimate. If you remember, if, for those of you who have been worshiping with us this year, uh, we have been uh, preaching through um, Paul's letters to the Corinthians. And back in Paul's first letter, if you recall, this is in 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul kind of lifts up my fears. He says, bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Was that what was going to happen? Was, was Simon's behavior going to be more affected by them than his behavior affecting, you know what I mean? Well, as we continue our journey through Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he, he, he picks up that familiar refrain again, you know, about bad company corrupts good morals, but he takes it to a whole nother level. And today we're going to talk about what that level is. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you did not bring your Bible, you are in luck because we got all kinds of Bibles. 
It's on page, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 is on page 1148, I think, in the church Bibles. Um, and as you're looking that up, I'm going to take just a moment to set the context. I'm going to give you a flavor of what, what I believe is going on here in this chapter that will help you to better understand the particular passage that we're going to look at today. Um, I will tell you right up front, you've probably noticed this. If you tried to um, figure out the tone of a text or an email, have you ever tried to do that before? And it's really hard to do that, right? To, to, what is, what were the, were because the, you don't get inflection, you really don't get a tone from a letter, unless you pay close attention to the words that are being used. If you clo- pay close attention to the words that are being used, you can get a sense of the attitude that the person is coming to the uh, conversation with. And I believe, as you look at first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's tone here is kind of defensive. He's, he's feeling kind of defensive. Now, why would I say that? Well, as you read through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, what you'll discover he, that he's doing is that he's going, he says, well, you know what? Now, I'm, in, I'm, I'm inserting inflection here that may not be here, but I think if you read it and you'll see what I'm saying. You know what? I've been slandered, talked bad against, called an imposter, and it's not fair. I don't know, he didn't say that necessarily. In fact, he goes, if you continue reading there in chapter 6, he, he, he quickly says, you know, not everybody has treated me like that. Not everybody has slandered me or talked bad about me or, or called me an imposter, but, but a lot of people have. In fact, some of you Corinthians have done that to me, albeit more subtle perhaps. You've done it to me too. Look at verse 11 real quick. In verse 11... 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, um, he says, I have shared my affection with you freely. Or he says, I have loved you openly. I've shared my love with you openly, but you have restricted your, your affection towards me. Basically what he's saying there is he's going, he says, I've loved you and you've turned a cold shoulder to me. What's that all about? What happened? Why, why are you treating me as though you don't even know me and you don't like me? Well, Paul believes that he knows what happens. He, um, Paul believes, and I think rightly so, that the Corinthians had been hanging out with non-Christians who were bad-mouthing him. And not only bad-mouthing him, but by extension bad-mouthing Jesus and bad-mouthing Christianity in general. They were whispering in their ears saying, you know what, you know that Paul, he's, he's an imposter. He's, you shouldn't listen to him. I don't even know why you guys go to that church. And as they were sitting and listening to this chirping in their ears, they thought, Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever done that? Well, you don't really want your, your friends or your buddies to think that you're weird or a Bible thumper or 
Oh, yeah, man, maybe I just get a little distance. You know what I'm talking about. And you're probably feeling a little uncomfortable right now because you do know what I'm talking about. This is real. It happens. It happened to Paul. It's happening in the Corinthian church. And you know what? What Paul, believing that that's what was going on, you know what he said to them? Look at verse 14 real quick. In verse 14, he makes the strangest statement. He says, Do not be unequally yoked. He didn't stop there though. He says, Do not be unequally yoked for what does, what does righteousness have to do with, with lawlessness? Or, or what fellowship does light have with dark? Basically what he was saying, and this is, listen to me real close here, because what I'm, uh, if you just read that verse all by itself, you don't matter, what does, I don't even know what that equally yoke thing means. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it to you. And once I explain it to you, it's not going to make you feel better. Basic, remember earlier when I was saying bad company corrupts good morals? And I told you he was going to take it to a whole nother level? In this verse, he's taking it to a whole nother level. In essence, what he's saying is, in your closest relationships, in the relationships that you value the most, the ones that you're going to invest in, the kind of the, the deep roots, should only be with Christians. Mm. You hear me? How does that make you feel? Now, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just put a pin in that for a second because I need to remind you who I am. I grew up as a non-Christian. So if I were to, as a non-Christian, hear what I just said to you or interpreted for you, I would think, well, who the heck do you think you are? It would feel arrogant and judgmental and exclusive. Is that how you feel about it? it you don't have to answer it because I know that that's how you feel at some level. And that's one of the reasons why we hardly ever preach on things like this. But let me, let me, if you feel that this, if this makes you feel kind of, let me tell you something right now. Paul is not implying, he's not saying in this verse that Christians are better than non-Christians. That's not what he's saying at all. If that's how you, if that's the vibe you're getting from this, that's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he's saying, he's actually implying the very exact opposite. He's saying, there's really, in some sense of the word, there's no difference between you and a non-Christian. You're just as likely to sin as a non-Christian is likely to sin. No matter how much you go to your, go to read your Bible and pray, human, you're still human and you're still a sinner. So he's saying, know what time it is. Know who you are. And because you are weak, because you are a sinful human being, be careful. 
Because if you're investing in relationships that are drawing you away from the most important relationship, which is the one you should have with Jesus, right? If he's your, if he's your Lord, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, there's no more important relationship than you have in your life than the one you have with him. Somebody say amen. Okay. If you're investing in any relationship that is drawing you away from that relationship, you got a problem. Do not be unequally yoked. For what, what fellowship does the light have with the dark? You see? Now, listen to me. Even though I, I just made the, the point that Christians are no different than non-Christians in, in a lot of respects, there is one very fundamental thing that separates Christians from non-Christians. Doesn't make them, well... This fundamental difference between Christians and non-Christians is something called worldview. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say that? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your view of the world must be... How's that for dogmatic? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your worldview must be informed, must have as its authority... Jesus and that Bible that you're holding in your hand. Jesus and that Bible that you're holding in your hand is the, th- is the reason that you do what you do, or it should be. Because guess what? The world is going to go, well, you know, maybe you should do this, or maybe you should do... No! Your worldview should be a biblical worldview. And here's the deal. Non-Christian, what, what is the worldview of a non-Christian? I don't know. Because you'll have to ask them. Because the worldview of a non-Christian can be anything. It could be, um, I had people yelling it out at first, there's sex and money and, and uh, uh, friendships and, and whatever it is that you value the most is your worldview. The way in which you view, view the world. And if that's what someone chooses, whatever their worldview that they choose is their worldview. And you don't have the right to try to impose that on somebody else. And you're silly to try to. Do not be unequally yoked. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? You see where I'm getting at? Paul was not saying that Christians are better than non-Christians. He was saying... Why make this harder than it has to be? So, a lot of you will understand this because you're my age. But have you ever heard anybody say, what happens if the horse is already out of the barn? You ever heard that saying? I said that at first service and some people are going, what did he just say? (laughs) Basically what that, in this context, what, what it means is what happens if the horse is already out of the barn? Basically, you might say, for example, what happens if I've already made the decision to be married? For, by the way, so this unequally yoked thing applies to marriage, business partnerships, your closest friendship, any relationship that you put deep roots into, 
That's what he's talking about. We oftentimes will say, oh, this is just about marriage. It is not just about marriage. This is about the relationships that you put root, deep roots into. Well, somebody will say, well, what, what, happened? What, what happens if I've already made the decision to be yoked with, I'm a Christian and I'm, I've made the decision to be um, yoked or married to a non-Christian? What am I supposed to do now, pastor? The horse is out of the barn. Well, if that's you, listen to me. You understand the wisdom of this passage better than anybody else in this room. And so does your spouse. Because, newsflash, marriage is hard. (laughs) Oh, there's conviction in that one. I'm so glad that wasn't Lisa. (laughs) Marriage is hard. Marriage between two people who have different worldviews is even harder. So, the question remains though, right? What am I supposed to do? Because this is real, Pastor. My life is real. See, here's what... Oftentimes, we think Christianity is kind of like just philosophical or whatever, you know. No, this stuff is real. This is stuff you're supposed to be applying to, living in your life. So, and this is what I'm talking about here is real. There are people, maybe it's you, who are married to someone with a world, different worldview and you're thinking, now what am I supposed to do? I, get, I understand what you're saying. But the decision has been made. What am I supposed to do? Well, Paul, remember, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, Paul answered the question in chapter 7. In chapter 7, he said, if you are married to an unbelieving spouse, then you should stay with them, unless they're being abusive. I mean, that's, I'm adding that, but I, I, I think everybody would agree that, with that. In the hope that you might draw them into relationship. Now, if they choose to leave, that's a whole other story. That's what the Scripture says. Go back to chapter 7, and that's what it says. If they choose to leave, that's a whole other story. But once the horse is out of the barn, as a Christian, because that's your worldview, you stay with them in the hope that your testimony will bring them to Christ. Well, that, well, that, that raises a whole other issue, Pastor. You, we talked about your son Simon earlier, Right? You just get done saying that you shouldn't, we're not supposed to invest in relationships with people who aren't Christian because of worldview. I, aren't we, but aren't we called to build relationships with people who aren't Christian so that they might become Christians? That is the call of the church. So what are you supposed to do with that? Well, I'm going to put some words into Paul's mouth here, but I think that this is, will be unchallenged. I think Paul would say, if you decide to take that path, be real. Be self-aware. Am, am I strong enough to be the influencer rather than the influencee? For example, 
If you're an alcoholic, don't go to the bars to share Jesus. I know that sounds funny, but you understand, you get what I'm getting at right here. If you're going to, if you're going to, and you should, I hope every one of you will do this, will want to be the influencer rather than, but make sure that you, you know that you can stand before going down that road. Talking about my son Simon, our son Simon, um, thankfully, he was right and I was wrong. I don't know how many kids, you know, I mean, there were multiple people from that skater culture that he eventually, God used him to bring to Jesus. And I, I respect him so much because of that. Because he knew the solid rock upon which he stood and nobody was going to knock him off that rock. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, so here's my question. Is that the rock that you're standing on? Are you strong enough to be the influencer rather than the influencee? Now, you may not know for sure right. Maybe you're not right now. I'm not, I don't know. But let me tell you where it begins. Let me tell you how you can begin to embrace that worldview, embrace this, that, this thing that, that this passage is calling us to. The way that begins is by you making sure that you have made the conscious decision to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior. Don't think for a second that just because you came to church today, that that's where it begins. That's, that's, that's something called prevenient grace. That's God moving in your life before you even make a decision. You have to make a decision. You have to make the conscious decision to say, Jesus is the rock. He is my rock. He is my Lord and He's my Savior. Not because grandpa was a preacher or because mom taught Sunday school. This is my choice. He is my rock. And He is my salvation. If you've never made that decision, maybe today, you will. And if you'd like to, uh, some help, I'd be my privilege to pray that prayer with you. Right over there is our prayer room. Um, if you'd like to pray that prayer of salvation, um, leading to a new worldview and uh, salvation and lordship and um, right over there. If you've got something else that you need to pray about and you'd like me to pray with you, it'd be my privilege to do that. I'll be right over there.